Welcome to Voices of Santa Clara. Having a good idea doesn't get you done. And if we'd hit those, there would have been an explosion. We would have died, obviously. Scholarship should cultivate the virtues. Worry more about, am I searching for what I should be doing next in the world? Hello, everyone. Welcome to Voices of Santa Clara. I'm your host, Gavin Cosgrave. Today's guest is Dr. Michelle Stecker, who works for Miller Center for Social Entrepreneurship at Santa Clara and also teaches classes on innovation, design thinking, and social entrepreneurship. Dr. Stecker has quite the list of educational accomplishments, which include a bachelor's in history from George Fox, a master's in divinity from Fuller Theological Seminary, a JD law degree from the University of Toledo, and also a PhD in history from the University of Toledo. Dr. Stecker told me that she would also love to get an MBA, so uh, keep your eyes peeled. In this conversation, we talk about how she founded the first ever social entrepreneurship major at Rollins College in Florida, how she would reform education, and much, much more. Enjoy. I'd love to start out by asking, what did you study in college and what were your career plans around that time in your life? Okay, great question, because it's so far removed from what I do now. Um, I was a history major and a music minor, and I thought I was going to be a um, professional music musician playing cello and, you know, soloing with symphonies around the world and whatever. And um, when I um, was preparing to go to college, my um, dad said to me, you know, you need to get a liberal arts education because you don't know if the music thing's going to work. And because I was I wanted to go to a music conservatory. So after college, if, if you still have that passion, you know, go for it and we'll support you. And as things worked out, um, I have played music professionally and I've done a lot of really cool things in that space. But um, the, the history major was actually a good idea, um, even though it's it's not um, super practical for um, real life jobs. But it gave me um, the opportunity to go ahead and do a PhD in history, and um, it was helpful for my law degree as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that everything you do in life um, is kind of building blocks, and you never know mm-hmm. how it's going to work out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you got multiple postgraduate degrees, I guess. So what like inspired the decision to get so many different degrees? Uh, I love school. I love to learn. Uh-huh. I am a lifelong learner. And that's why I like teaching so much is I get to work with um, these amazing students that are lifelong learners. Mm-hmm. And my job is to prepare them for jobs that don't exist yet. Mm. And so many students feel like they have to know what their career path is going to look like. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of pressure on them. And I keep saying, just relax. You know, mm-hmm. every time I see my dad, he says, you know, do you know what you're going to do when you grow up? And it's like, I still don't know. I still, mm. I believe that my next job that I have, it doesn't exist yet. Mm. So I do have a lot of degrees. I have a master's of divinity. I'm an ordained Presbyterian minister. Mm-hmm. I did youth ministry for a number of years and then some interim ministry, which is mm-hmm. super interesting. Um, then I went back to school, did a PhD in history, 
um, specializing in reform movements and in in the United States, and and then I went back to school again and got a law degree. And my specialty is in employment law, but I've done a lot of civil rights work and hmm. any you know business law, nonprofit law as hmm. well. So I love school, and mm-hmm. I would like to get an MBA someday, but. Hmm. Who knows? We'll see. Hmm. What type of civil rights work? I'm curious. I did a lot of LGBTQ civil rights work. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at the University of Toledo, and my um, partner, um, Carol, was a vice um, provost at the yeah. University of, of Toledo. And I was not be able to access her her um, health care benefits. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't get health insurance. And I was in school, had student insurance. It wasn't very good. And so we, we worked with a team and we finally convinced the university to you know, give us the, the benefits and the domestic partner health benefits. And then, um, then we couldn't prove that we were domestic partners because it was the guidelines were just crazy. So I worked again for a year to pass a law in, in Toledo that um, would make it so um, gay and lesbian couples could prove that they really were and in relationships, loving relationships, mm-hmm. and did that. And I have, um, and I, I founded a, a nonprofit organization called Equality Toledo, um, which uh, worked for um, you know education and basic civil rights, and you know working in this space. For you all now, it's it's you know in a, in a world of marriage equality, there was it wasn't that long ago where we had no mm-hmm. rights at all. And it was it was so hard to um, you know just to be able to live your lives. Um, mm-hmm. Just basic basic rights were denied to us. Mm-hmm. So I did a lot of work in that. I was um, uh, on the board of directors of the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force, and um, did just a lot of cutting edge work with the Lambda Legal um, with some cases of marriage equality in, in Iowa. It was like really huge. I, that was a that was a moment I'll never forget in my life where the um, our lead litigator uh, Camilla Taylor she the night before that pendium was going to come out in Iowa she said I don't care what religion you believe in you know light some candles say your prayers we don't know if we're going to win this and we've put hundreds of thousands of dollars into the into that particular case and and she was really nervous. In the morning is the announce the announcement of the opinion. It's about ten in the morning, and we popped champagne bottles. It's the only time I think I've had champagne really early <laughs> in the morning, and it was really cool to be to experience um, such a meaningful victory. Mm-hmm. And Camilla always said, you know, if we can win marriage in Iowa, we can win it everywhere, mm-hmm. you know, and in the Midwest. So that was a great a, a great moment for mm-hmm. me. Yeah, wow. And I'm I'm curious, where did you first get interested in social entrepreneurship? It's been, um, I guess, the field started emerging when I was realizing, and I was seeing the big picture. Mm-hmm. Um, I I was at Rollins College. It was about seven years ago, something like that, and I was a director of the Women's Center. I you know, I'd done a lot of women's and gender studies work and activism and, and you know, doing the history um, teaching. And um, I, was, I was always, like, depressing my students. It was, like, really horrible. After the end of a, of a semester, you know, I'd say, 
I'm really sorry, but you know, all this women's and gender studies, you know, and history, and um, it's um, so depressing because there's so many bad things going on in the world. And um, it was this amazing experience when I, I met a woman who was the founder of the Florida Hospital Innovation Lab called Phil. Um, and she was all about innovation. So we were, when we met, we decided, you know, like, we've got to build, you know, create something really cool here. And um, I started taking my students to Phil, and they were becoming empowered and, you know, be able to create change. And then I started looking, okay, the other people around me, who else could be partners in um, making change in the world? And so I started collaborating with with lots of folks across campus. So it was a multidisciplinary effort um, where um, we had gone to a, a conference together. Uh, it was an Ashoka conference. It's a big social um, entrepreneurship organization. And we came up with this like, crazy idea. Let's let's start a, a major in social entrepreneurship and let's um, put together all of our skills and our life experiences and try to help you know, transform students so they could be the change makers that they're called to be. Mm-hmm. And it was this incredible, you know, this idea that is, it was kind of crazy, mm-hmm. but we, we, we did it. And, and at the time we had no idea it was the first one of its kind in the world. Um, but we, we just thought it was the natural progression of why not? We know the needs of the, the world. We, we, you know, understand um, social enterprises and the importance of, of nonprofits and for-profits working and uh, helping make the, the world a better place. And it was just logical to us. So it was, it was kind of crazy. We had no idea. Um, we were pioneers in this mm-hmm. field. And we just did it. And the students, they vote with their feet. It became the sixth most populated major mm-hmm. at Rollins very, within a year. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a crazy time of, um, you know, just working with the most amazing students, and they were so passionate, and mm-hmm. they're they're checking in with me now and doing great things with their lives, mm-hmm. and um, I'm hoping to do the same kind of thing here at Santa Clara. Hmm. What are some of the key like, classes and skills that were a part of that major that you think people need to know if they're interested in social entrepreneurship? That's a great question. Um, for me, everyone needs to know basic business skills, mm-hmm. and I don't have an MBA. Um, I'm a lawyer, and so a lot is of my work is self-taught. I, you know, creating a nonprofit and whatever. Um, but you know, basic business skills are super important, and then the the skills of of um, being innovative. Of you know, I think design, human-centered design thinking is super important. That's why I integrate that in all my classes. Um, the the soft skills of you know being resilient, being persistent, being creative, being um, a thoughtful leader, being somebody always searching for for empathy, mm-hmm. listening, observing people, um, truly meeting the needs of our our end users, stakeholders, mm-hmm. beneficiaries, and you know it's it, so it's it's. The classes I, I create are experiential. Mm-hmm. Teams are working on projects. I don't lecture at them. Um, try to have students, you know, learn um, in the wisdom of, of the room mm-hmm. and 
gain the hands-on skills that are needed for mm -hmm. jobs of the future. Uh, it, you know, it's just a transformative experience. So it, it's a, these classes are very, very different than a traditional mm -hmm. class experience. Yeah, and then moving some into Santa Clara and Miller Center, what are some of the courses you're teaching now, programs you're running, and goals you have for those moving forward? I have taught uh, and created eight different classes in the last two years, which is kind of crazy. Which is, it's been a lot of fun. Um, I've taught engineering classes, I've taught sociology classes, and I've taught a public health course. And I have no credentials in any of those fields, <laughs> which is amazing. Um, the provost office is going to have to write an exception um, for accreditation for all the, all the classes I teach. But it just shows the interdisciplinary nature of knowledge and learning. We, the academy is set up in these silos, and it just doesn't work. Students, students don't learn in silos, and employers certainly um, don't want to have people that are only thinking in a very narrow way. Mm -hmm. And so the kinds of things that I'm teaching are you know, definitely cross-disciplinary, multidisciplinary. Um, so you know, our, our goal um, when I was first hired was to see if there was student demand for social entrepreneurship. We didn't really know. And um, I started these classes. The classes fill, get good student teaching um, you know, evaluations. And so we've proven there's strong student demand. And now we're trying to figure out, okay, where does this fit? Because we have these silos. We have an engineering school and a business school and arts and sciences. And, and resources are finite. And, you know, like, how does this, how do these new fields of innovation and mm -hmm. social entrepreneurship, how does it, how does it fit in? And um, I, I first thought that, you know, you should have a major and minor in social entrepreneurship mm -hmm. or social innovation. But now I'm really thinking that these fields need to be integrated everywhere. Hmm. And my dream, I don't know if this is going to happen or not, my dream is that uh, fields, traditional liberal arts fields, could incorporate innovation and even change the names of their majors. Where hmm. you, know, you have a sociology major, but you have core innovation courses and you know, social entrepreneurship. So you could have sociology and innovation mm -hmm. or um, sociology and social entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. So the major could change um, the, the nomenclature. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm thinking big. I would like to see it integrated, mm -hmm. but I am not sure how we're going to get there. Um, we're mm -hmm. still kind of struggling to figure out, you know, in these silos, how do you make it? How do you make it work? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's maybe an example of like a success story or a student or a class that's really been able to go out after after like a social entrepreneurship class and have, like have an impact in the real world that you've seen. That's that's a great question because that's that's one of the things assessment is, is so important and I get asked that all the time at conferences. Mm -hmm. You know, what's what's the data? How, are you truly changing you know mm -hmm. students' lives or is it just kind of a warm fuzzy feeling? You know, and what we're seeing is students. Many students are. Um, working in social enterprises around the world or tracking them. They are working for, you know, Teach for America, AmeriCorps. Um, we are seeing some of the students that are um, involved in 
in internships even that that they're creating. I, I'll give you an example of a, of a, a student that she was the face of the business school last year of, um, on all the marketing um, and promotions and whatever. Uh, she's a super talented student, Shagun Patel. And she's taken, I think, five classes of mine. Hmm. And, you know, she was just kind of trying to figure out what she wanted to do with the summer. And I kept saying, don't worry, you know, something's going to happen. And she did a, an interview for AAA, um, hmm. the automotive um, company. Uh, and, you know, they start talking to her about this internship. And they said, you know, um, you have just very unusual skills. We, we're going to create an internship for hmm. you. And you will create your own job description. We love that you know human-centered design thinking. We love that you embrace ambiguity and mm-hmm. you talk the language of an innovator. And so she's an example of she's now in an internship that didn't exist that mm-hmm. she's creating, and I think will help you know move the needle for the organization and maybe it'll turn out to be a long-term mm-hmm. term job. I don't know. Um, so it's just, that's just one example. But we have students literally all over the world doing this kind of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned the idea of preparing for a job that doesn't exist yet. And so I'm wondering if we totally got rid of all the constructs of education and junior high and high school and college, like what would you want to put into place if you just had a clean slate with education, whether that's maybe in the junior high, high school, or college range? Like, what's wh- what would be some notable differences in your self-created system versus the way things are now to better prepare people for jobs that don't exist yet? Well, it's that's a mind-blowing question, but I've actually been giving it a lot of thought. Um, we know that one of the big reasons why people are in poverty is they don't have access to the skills, knowledge, competencies that they need be successful. I would like to live in a world where education is democratized, where everyone has access to the same kinds of skills, knowledge, competencies, and it shouldn't be based on being born in the right country or being born, you know, an affluent family. Um, I'm hoping that we can uh, start at teaching kids, you know, whether it's little kids, you know, college students and lifelong learners, because you're going to have to learn the rest of your life. Um, We're all lifelong learners in this, uh, where we can access uh, knowledge in a way using technology that, you know, we can work in teams still, even with the technology, because I think that human interaction is super important. Do project-based learning. we shouldn't be doing rote memorization anymore. There are a few things we really do need to know, but everything else is on your phone. And we need to look at what what is the canon of knowledge now. As a history professor, uh, you know, I used to make all my students memorize all this stuff, mm-hmm. and it's at the tip of their fingers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sure, I like to, they need to not be ignorant. They need to know, you know, basic basic dates, but. Uh, it's more important to learn critical thinking skills, um, teamwork skills, leadership skills, um, innovation skills, the ability to have that creative confidence, mm-hmm. self-efficacy. Those are the kinds of things that's, that students need to, um, in order to be lifelong learners. And we're going to see an, an incredible revolution 
education is going to change so dramatically mm -hmm. the next five, 10 years. It's going to be crazy. We're going to see a lot of bricks and mortar schools go under colleges mm -hmm. and universities. They um, are not sustainable. They're mm -hmm. business models. And, you know, I just, I'm, my dream, I hope that we can use this time of incredible change for positive and we can just, mm -hmm. we can reach more students. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's a, a, a tremendous time of opportunity rather than mm -hmm. negative. Let's break down these silos. Let's get rid of it. Let's, let's start from scratch. And, um, you know, I know professors will hate me for this, but I don't believe in tenure. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think professors should be able to teach in two or three fields. Mm -hmm. And we need to be teaching together. We need to be, you know, long-term contracts and things like that. But we need to keep on um, adapting and learning ourselves as professors in order to stay relevant mm -hmm. and be able to facilitate the education that the students need. And, you know, I if, if we're just lecturing at students to, for all the class time, mm -hmm. You know, you can get that online. Mm -hmm. So it's when we bring people together in a classroom environment, maybe it's going to be a virtual reality environment. Mm -hmm. um, we, we still need that interaction in teams. Mm -hmm. But it's going to look very different mm -hmm. than what it is today. And I think, it's, I think it's really exciting. I know it's scary, but mm -hmm. I think it's exciting. Awesome. Well, I have a couple shorter questions okay. to wrap up. So first, do you have any like resources, books, websites, organizations that you recommend people check out if they're interested in learning more, either just that you think are interesting or specifically about social entrepreneurship? Well, there's an amazing book called Creative Confidence by Tom and David Kelly. And that is a book, it's in my top five list and my students love it and I have them read it. Um, it's all about getting that inner creative confidence that they you lose somewhere you know when you're in middle school high school and try to recapture that it's mm -hmm. it's so important for innovation so creative confidence is an excellent excellent book um i like david bornstein's books for social entrepreneurship he's he's a star um the um sally osborne and roger martin book on getting beyond better Getting Beyond, yeah, Getting Beyond Better um, is a great book on, on social entrepreneurship. We need more books. I don't think there is anything super fantastic. I think we have good books, but the books haven't been written yet. So maybe you can write a book for us. <laughs> All right. Do you have any favorite place that you've traveled to? Oh, I love going everywhere from being in the woods in Washington State to being on Lake Como in, in Italy. I love mm -hmm. Italy. It's one of my favorite mm -hmm. places to to be. Um, I I love traveling and just mm -hmm. seeing all different sorts of places. It inspires me and mm -hmm. my creativity. Hmm. If you could send a message to every person in the United States, what would you want to say? Wow, that's, that's a hard question. Um, hang in there. You know, it gets better. And I think we're going through just an incredible amount of change, and change is just speeding up. It's really hard on us as humans, as communities, as institutions. We need to hang in there, be kinder to one another, and you know, keep um, keep being optimistic. Um, we have an amazing um, group of young people coming in behind us that are doing great things. And so I'm hopeful. So, mm -hmm. you know, 
hang in there. Hmm. And finally, what does an ideal Saturday look like for you? Oh, it's probably being in the woods. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed um, my family business. We we own timber property up in Washington mm-hmm. State, and I, I love being out in the woods and seeing the beauty of nature and um, the mountains are just mm-hmm. gorgeous. And I like to be away from my cell phone. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, awesome. Well, thanks for your invitation. Well, thank you. It's been fun. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. You can subscribe to Voices of Santa Clara on the iTunes podcast app. You can visit VoicesOfSantaClara.com for interview transcripts, and you can like the Facebook page. Special thanks to Miles Elliott for the music. Thank you for listening, and have a nice day.